Good afternoon, everyone. According to scripture, God chose the people of Israel, that is the people descended from the patriarch Israel as his chosen people. The people of Israel had a special and privileged relationship with God. We read in Psalm 105, verse 6, Psalm 105, verse 6, O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. To many in our modern culture, the fact that God would designate a particular people to be chosen, separate from other peoples of the earth, would seem grossly unfair and would make God partial and a respecter of persons. But is that indeed the case? Why did God choose Israel? That's the question I want to address in today's sermon. Let's go back now to the beginning of human history. God had created Adam and Eve as the first pair of humans. As we read in Genesis 1, beginning with verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So God created human beings, the first family, in his own likeness, because God is a family. And God gave instructions to the first pair, Adam and Eve, but they rejected his commands and chose to follow Satan instead. Adam and Eve had children, and their children had children, and the, the earth's population of human beings rapidly grew. In Genesis 5, beginning in verse 1, Genesis 5, verse 1, it says, This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. Notice that after Seth was born, Adam had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahaliel and then it goes on with others. Each generation succeeding the one before and having more sons and daughters and more sons and daughters. So we don't know what the population of the earth was by the time of the flood, which occurred about 1,500 years after Adam was created, but the population of, earth, of the earth must have been uh, quite large, probably billions of people by that time. 
And uh, we see that in the pre-flood era, people lived, tended to live a long time for hundreds of years, and they produced sons and daughters, and their progeny produced sons and daughters. So the Earth's population grew exponentially. But the more the population of the Earth grew in numbers, it also grew further apart from the God who had created human beings in the first place. We read in Genesis 6, beginning with verse 1, Genesis 6 and verse 1, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Then going on in verse 5 of Genesis 6, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the, heart, the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Then going on in verse 11 of Genesis 6, verse 11, the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And then we read in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, 2 Peter 2 and verse 5, God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So Noah, who was the only one found faithful to God on the face of the earth, evidently, at that time was going to be spared, but the rest, all of humanity were going to be destroyed in a flood. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So evidently for 120 years, Noah, both through his works and preaching, warned the world of what was coming. And in 1 Peter 3 and verse 20, 1 Peter 3 and verse 20, it says, When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. So after God gave these, these instructions to Noah, there was 120 years during which he prepared this ark, probably being subjected to ridicule. And uh, he was also 
proclaiming the gospel, but no one listened. No one listened out of all the vast population of the earth, which no doubt numbered in the millions and perhaps even billions of human beings. Only Noah and his family, eight people altogether, were saved because Noah listened to God and obeyed him while the rest of humanity refused to listen and rebelled. So Noah and his family were spared and after the flood, human beings began to multiply once again on the earth. Genesis 9 and verse 1, Genesis 9 and verse 1, it says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with people. Going on in verse 18 of Genesis 9, Verse 18, Genesis 9, Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. So every human being alive today, or who has been alive since that time, were the descendants of Noah and one of his sons. In Genesis 10, it's related how the families of the earth originated as the uh, sons of uh, Noah had children and then their children had children and so forth. And the earth became populated with families descending from these individuals. And so in Genesis 10 and verse 32, it says, these were the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations in their nations and from these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood from these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood so God recognizes the divisions in the human family according to these families that are enumerated in Genesis 10 and others that have descended from those since then such as the, the nation of Israel, which came along much later, or at least quite a, quite a while later. So the time came when the sons of man sought to develop a one-world government after their own devising. Now, by this time, there were various families of people, and uh, they were not necessarily separated geographically all that much. In fact, they, they were in some ways dwelling more or less among one another. And uh, they sought to develop a one world government of their own devising. The system was centered in the person of a powerful leader, a man named Nimrod, or at least the Bible calls him Nimrod. And Nimrod is in a way reminiscent of the beast of Revelation, who is, is not, the beast implies not only a system of government that will um, more or less be a, a, a worldwide dictatorship, but it also refers specifically to the leader of that system in the book of Revelation. 
And Nimrod was that type of leader. In Genesis 10 and verse 8, Genesis 10 and verse 8, it says, Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. And that's in the Mesopotamian area. From that land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kala, and Resin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the principal city. Now, Gill in his commentary on uh, Genesis 10 and verse 8 says the following, quote, the name of Nimrod is usually derived from a Hebrew word, marad, which means to rebel because he was a rebel against God, as is generally said, and because of his jarky, and I believe that's a Jewish uh, commentator, observes he caused all the world to rebel against God by the advice he gave to the generation of the division or the confusion of languages, the builders of Babel. He seems to be the same with Belus, the founder of Babel and of the Babylonian empire. Belus is the name of a, a false god who at least this author believes was, uh, was a god that uh, was uh, traced back to Nimrod and his false religion that he developed. Adam Clark on Genesis 10 and verse 8. Adam Clark on Genesis 10 verse 8 said it is very likely that he was a very bad man. His name Nimrod comes from Marad. He rebelled. And the Targum on First Chronicles, First uh, Chronicles 1 and verse 10 says Nimrod began to be a mighty man in sin, a murderer of innocent men and a rebel before the Lord. So that is how the Targum characterizes Nimrod. The Jerusalem Targum says he was mighty in hunting or in prey and in sin before God, for he was a hunter of the children of men in their languages. And he said to them, depart from the religion of Shem and cleave to the institutes of Nimrod. Shem was, as we've seen, one of the sons of Noah, and evidently he was uh, the only one of the three sons who uh, continued to fear God even after going through the flood as all of them did. So according to a Jewish tradition, the proposition of Nimrod was to depart from the, the religion of Shem, that is the religion of the worship of the true God and cleave to the institutes of Nimrod. In other words, his rules, his laws his traditions. The Targum of Jonathan ben Uziel says, quote, from the foundation of the world, none was ever found like Nimrod, powerful in hunting and in rebellions against the Lord, end quote. The Syriac calls him a warlike giant. The word Syed, which we render hunter, signifies prey, and it is applied in the scriptures to the hunting of men by persecution oppression and tyranny. Hence it is likely that Nimrod having acquired power used it in tyranny and oppression 
and by rapine and violence founded that dom domination, which was the, the first distinguished by the name of a kingdom on the face of the earth. So this is the end of the quotation from Adam Clark. The Kyle and Delich commentary on Genesis 10, beginning verse 8, reads as follows. Kyle and Delich says, Nimrod began to be a mighty one in the earth. Marad is used here as in Genesis 6 and verse 4 to, to denote a man who makes himself renowned for bold and daring deeds. Nimrod was mighty in hunting and in that and that in opposition to Yahweh. The name itself, Nimrod, from Marad, we will revolt, points to some violent resistance to God. It is so characteristic that it can only have been given by his contemporaries and thus to have become a proper name. In other words, what they're saying is that this was a name that his contemporaries called him by, not necessarily his given name, and we'll say a little more about that in a minute. Nimrod the hunter became a tyrant. This is Kyle and Delich going on with their comments. Nimrod the hunter became a tyrant, a powerful hunter of men. This course of life gave occasion to the proverb, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter against the Lord, which immortalized not his skill in hunting beasts, but the success of his hunting of men in the establishment of an imperial kingdom by tyranny and power. But if the, this be the meaning of the proverb in the face of Yahweh, it can only mean in defiance of Yahweh, as Josephus and the Targums understand it. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, the well-known city of Babylon, on the Euphrates from which the time of which from the time of Nimrod downwards has been the symbol of the power of the world in its hostility to God. According to Josephus, that, that's the end of uh, Kyle and Delich's comments. According to Josephus, quote, now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man and of great strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it were through his means they were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured that happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God but to bring them into a constant dependence upon his own power. He also said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again for that he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. That's the end of the quotation from Josephus from Antiquities 1, 4, and 2. The descendants of Cush, one of the sons of Ham, inhabited the land of Shinar, which most scholars consider to be Sumer. The land of Shinar is, again, in the Mesopotamian area. And according to 
according to the publication Bible and Spade. Their website is BibleArchaeology.org. But this article was in their publication, Bible and Spade, originally in the summer of 2001. It's now posted on their website. As they say, the land of Shinar, as it's described in the Bible, is identified by most scholars with Sumer. You may have heard of the, the Sumerians, uh, an ancient civilization not long after the flood. And it's suggested in this article that Nimrod was the same as Gilgamesh, who is known from clay tablets found in the ruins of Nineveh and elsewhere in the Middle East. Nimrod, it is suggested, was not his given name, as we saw earlier. And this article also suggests that Nimrod was not this man's given name. And they believe that Gil Gilgamesh may have, in fact, been his original name. But Nimrod, it is suggested, was a derisive epithet descriptive of his character and behavior. They go on to say, quote, our English translation of the Hebrew of Genesis 10, 8 through 12 is weak. The author of this passage of scripture will not call Gilgamesh by his name, nor honor him, but is going to call him by a derisive name, what he really is, a rebel. Therefore, we should translate Genesis 10, verses 8 through 10 to read as follows. Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a tyrant in the earth. He was a tyrannical hunter in opposition to the Lord. Thus it is said, Nimrod, the tyrannical opponent of Yahweh, end quote. Babylon, this the city that Nimrod, one of the cities that Nimrod founded after the flood became the font of rebellion and hostility toward God through a system of idolatry and deception that is traced back at least to, the, to Nimrod and probably even uh, Cush and perhaps others, but uh, especially Nimrod. But from Babylon developed a system of idolatry and deception that spread throughout the world and has continued down to our day today. That same system has deceived mankind through the ages. And so in Scripture, it's called in Revelation 17 and verse 5, Revelation 17 and verse 5, mystery, because this, this is a, a mystery system, a system of hidden meanings, secret knowledge known to a select number, and yet it is also a very popular system that has dominated the world, and it's called Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. The mother of harlots or false religions and of the abominations. Abomination is a word that's often applied to idols, and it would include any kind of idolatry or idol worship and other forms of abominable behavior that God condemns. But we see that this system is traced back to Babylon and to Nimrod, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. 
So God was not pleased with what Nimrod had done, and he was not pleased with the plans for a one-world government based on this system with Nimrod being the leader. So what God did is God confused their tongues. Before that, they were all speaking the same language. God confused their tongues, and he scattered them abroad over the face of the earth so they were no longer all packed into this rather restricted area in Mesopotamia, but they were scattered abroad over the face of the earth. And so we read in Genesis 11, beginning with verse 1, Genesis 11 and verse 1, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come and let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and that's a, an alluvial plain is where they dwelt, so there weren't very many stones there. So they used clay to make bricks and used that for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar, it says. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. So they were not wanting to be separated, and geographically, they wanted to concentrate the population of the world in that area, at least for that period of time. In this article in Bible and Spade, summer of 2001, it comments on this. It says, often attributed to Nimrod, the Tower of Babel was not a jack and the beanstalk type of construction where people were trying to build a structure to get to heaven. Instead, it's best understood of an, as an ancient ziggurat, which is an Assyrian word meaning a mountaintop. A ziggurat was a man-made structure with a temple at its top built to worship the host of heaven. So this was a structure that was integrated into the idolatrous worship that was being developed by under, under Nimrod's authority. And we go on with Genesis 11 and verse 5. Genesis 11 and verse 5, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they, have, they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come and let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over all the face of all the earth. So this one world government and this system under Nimrod's authority with him in control was an affront to God. It was being done in rebellion against God. So mankind had rebelled against God, virtually the entirety of the human population of the earth were a part of this scheme and this system of rebellion and idolatry. 
and they rebelled against God and they had rejected his message. Now nearly all the population of the earth had been destroyed by a flood, but the rebellion lived over beyond the flood and continued after the flood and became an organized system at Babylon. So this was the situation the world was in, perhaps two or 300 years after the flood. It was a world of God-defying humanity. And out of that world, God called a man named Abraham, or Abram, as he was actually originally called. We read in Genesis 12, verse 1. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him that curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice what God said, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed, or Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, Lot was his nephew, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now Abram, or as he was later called, Abraham, proved faithful to God. And then he finally had a son, miraculously, named Isaac, and Isaac also proved faithful. And the promises given to Abraham were passed down to his son Isaac, and then to Isaac's son Jacob, or Israel, who was also faithful to God. Now we read in Genesis 26 and verse 1, Genesis 26 and verse 1, this was in the time of Isaac, and it says there was a famine in the land besides the famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands." I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now notice that God was making these promises on the basis of Abraham's obedience because Abraham was faithful and then his son Isaac was faithful and so that was the foundation upon which these promises were based God promised to reward these patriarchs who proved faithful to him by blessing their descendants and actually through them blessing the entirety of humanity. Now this is an important key to remember in understanding why God chose Israel. It was for a blessing, not only to them, but to others as well. 
The faith of Abraham manifested in his obedience to God became a model for anyone who wants to have a positive relationship with God. And we see that reflected in a number of places in the scripture. In Galatians 3, for example, beginning with verse 6, Galatians 3 and verse 6, and this is from the Bible in basic English translation. Galatians 3, verse 6, even as Abraham had faith in God and it was put to his account as righteousness, be certain then that those who are of faith, the same are the sons of Abraham. In the holy writings, seeing before the event that God would give the Gentiles righteousness by faith, gave the good news before to Abraham, or the gospel to Abraham, saying, in you will all the nations have a blessing. So then those who are of faith have a part in the blessing of Abraham, who was full of faith. The key here is Abraham's faith, and that faith was manifested by his obedience to God. As God had told Isaac, Abraham obeyed God. He obeyed God's voice. He kept his charge, his commandments, statutes, and laws. So the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a starting point for all those who are to be chosen by God. As a physical nation, God chose the descendants of Israel because of the faith of their forebears, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because of the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses spoke to the people of Israel as they were preparing to enter the land of Canaan. God had promised to them in the days of their ancestors as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning with verse 32. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 32, For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and live? Did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your, your eyes? Nothing like this had ever happened in all of history up to that point. Verse 35, it says, To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God, there is none other besides him. Now notice why this was being done. Part of it was so that because God was revealing himself as God, as the true God, as the only God, in contrast to all the idols of the Egyptians and other peoples. Goes on to say, out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you. On earth he showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. Notice it says because he loved your father, speaking of the faithful ones that we just mentioned earlier. Therefore he chose their descendants after them and he brought you out of Egypt with his presence with his mighty power, driving from you, from before you nations greater and mightier than you. 
to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. Therefore know this and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath and there is no other. There's no other God. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So here are noted several reasons given as to why God chose Israel, why he chose to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt and make them a separate nation from the other nations of the world, which were all immersed in idolatry. One reason is because he loved their ancestors. That is, God had a special affection for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because in a faithless, God-defined world, these men had proved faithful. Secondly, another reason is that he chose Israel because in working with them, he would reveal himself as the only true God and that there is no other God. And another reason is that he chose them to reveal his statutes and commandments, laws which would promote peace, health, tranquility, happiness, prosperity, and longevity. So there were several reasons, and probably more than these, but at least these three reasons. God proposed a covenant with the nation of Israel, which they entered into of their own free will. In Exodus 19, beginning with verse 3, Exodus 19, verse 3, and Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Speaking metaphorically, of course. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Now notice that God had told them if they were faithful to the covenant, faithful by obeying his words, then they would be a kingdom of priests. They would be a kingdom of priests. And I plan to elaborate on this later, as this is another key reason that God chose Israel. God emphasized to the people of Israel that he did not choose them because of any special merit or greatness on their part. In fact, he repeated this several times. Rather, it was because of the promises to their forefathers. And he made it clear that their continued favor with God would hinge on their faithfulness to the covenant and keeping his commandments. As we read in Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7, beginning in verse 6. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6. You are a holy people. To the Lord your God, God is speaking to Israel, 
The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. God did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. Now, this is pretty plain language that God is speaking here. He says, those who are faithful to him, he will honor, but he will repay those who hate him and despise him, and he will destroy them. And it says, he will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. Then it shall come to pass because you listen to these judgments, something that virtually almost no one on the face of the earth had ever done previously. It shall come to pass because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. So notice continued favor with God was contingent on their faithfulness to the covenant and they're obeying the commandments before they entered the land of Canaan God had seen the stubbornness and faithlessness of the people of Israel and God had determined in his righteous judgment that the peoples of Canaan had become so wicked that they must be punished by being driven out of their land but he also made it clear to Israel that he had not been pleased by their conduct since leaving Egypt. And so we read in Deuteronomy 9, beginning in verse 1, Deuteronomy 9 and verse 1, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today, go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you heard. It is said who can... Who can stand before the descendants of Anak? These were giants, literally people, a giant of stature and also famous and powerful who had built great cities in Canaan. God went on to say, therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you, do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them uh, uh, out from before you 
and that he may fulfill the word which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God in wrath or to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough to have destroyed you. When I went up, this is Moses speaking, when I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain and from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. This was when they were before Mount Sinai. And God spoke to them the Ten Commandments. Going on, it says, And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. These were the... these precepts were the foundation uh, terms of this covenant that God had made with Israel. Going on, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God and had made yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my hands and broke them before your eyes, and I fell down before the Lord as at the first forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin, which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger, for I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with, with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. So Moses intervened for the people with God, and God was prepared to destroy them. But he listened to Moses and heard his plea and spared the people, despite their rebellion and idolatry. They were turning back to the same wickedness with which the rest of the world was infected when they had been chosen to be a different kind of nation. This is a comment on Deuteronomy 9 and verse 5 from the Treasury of Scriptural Knowledge. Uh, the the uh, Treasury of Scriptural Knowledge says, quote, Though the Canaanites were expelled for their wickedness, it does not follow that the Israelites were established in their room on account of any distinguished virtue or because they deserved it. On many occasions it may be seen in the history of the world that God punishes the wicked by the instrumentality of other men who are as wicked as themselves. Not the Israelites' righteousness, but the wickedness of the inhabitants and the promise of God to their fathers 
was the cause of their obtaining Canaan, end quote. Now, what were the sins of the Canaanites that merited such drastic punishment and treatment to be driven out of their land and many of them being killed in the process? The sins of the Canaanites and the Egyptians as well are given in a summary fashion in Leviticus 18. And these sins include incest, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, idolatry, and child sacrifice. Now this is not a complete list of their transgressions, but only perhaps the most egregious of them. They had not only descended into gross immorality in terms of sexual sins, but in their depraved worship of idols were regularly murdering innocent human beings. That's why God determined to strip them of their inheritance and drive them out. God told the people of Israel in Leviticus 18 and verse 24, Leviticus 18 verse 24 and following verses, he said to the Israelites, do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done, who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Now God is not a respecter of persons. He does not show partiality. And he promised Israel that if they committed the same abominations as the, as the Canaanites, they too would be cast out of their inheritance. In a future sermon, I hope to finish this discussion of why God chose the peoples of Israel and how it directly affects you and the rest of mankind. <laughs>